Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So let's look, if that's what makes marriage hard, what makes marriage work? Um, And John Henderson gets us off on a foot here. He says, we're not to live for one another, but beside one another and for the Lord. Our lives are not meant to revolve around one another. They're meant to revolve together around Jesus Christ. Now here's my challenge to you. Don't hear that as a moral duty. Don't hear that as a child who has to clean his room. Hear that as a bird that has to learn to fly. This is what we were created for. A bird that has to learn to fly doesn't look over the nest and go, oh man, this is what we got to do today. When we begin to realize that our life was made to revolve around Christ and that He blesses us with a partner to do that with, That is liberation, not bondage. And when we begin to view that as a moral duty, we begin to reintroduce the lie of Genesis 3. Is God really good? Does He know what's best for you? Take and eat that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let you define what is good for you on your own. Don't let Him tell you what you have to do. When we begin to view that our life was made to revolve around Christ and that that's what's going to make a good marriage and that's something that we have to do, we hear echoes of Genesis 3. And if we're going to have a gospel-centered marriage, it means we've got to be on guard for that kind of Genesis 3 lie at all times. Because Satan is smart. And when he's got something that works, he goes back to it. And that lie's been working for him for centuries. And we have the benefit of Scripture to alert us to that and say, listen to echoes of that, because it's going to come back. Now, uh, Dennis Rainey, he says one of the riskiest but most rewarding benefits of a marriage relationship is the exhilarating experience of knowing and being known of revealing and having another person reveal himself or herself to you. If the person who knows you best loves you most, your marriage will be truly special. Here's my restatement of that. If you want to... We will have to take the risk of being known before we will experience the joy of being loved. And it's easy to think that when we get married... We're going to know each other really well. But I can't tell you the number of couples that I counsel who say, we just don't feel like we know each other anymore. They could tell you every childhood story and roll their eyes when you're about to hear that next glory story again. They could tell you all the events of life. They can complete one another's sentences. But for some reason, they're saying, we don't feel like we know each other anymore. 
Because when we're dating, there's all kinds of facts and history to know. I don't know anything about you. It's exciting to get to know that. All of these conversations about what we believe and think about different things, they're new and exciting conversations. When we start to get to know one another as a married couple, it moves from just events and thoughts to our beliefs and dreams and fears and ultimately the story that we're trying to make come true. Now let me bring that down from 40,000 feet to something that's a little more practical here. I'm on my way home from work. And my wife, Sally, says, how was your day? Pretty common for me. Not as productive as I would like. Um, Now, at that point, we could have an event-based conversation. I was hoping to get A, B, and C done. You know, emergencies one, two, and three came up. Didn't get to that. And it becomes kind of a mundane, complaining conversation. Now, if we can connect that conversation to something bigger where we are truly knowing one another. And, um, you know, she knows that my identity tends to get too much wrapped up in what I do. Uh, Maybe she can encourage me. Maybe she can caution me off of that. Or maybe she knows my dreams. You know, the dreams that I have are to raise two young boys who will grow up to be champions for Christ and to see a counseling ministry that can bless churches all across the country as they begin to connect the gospel with the life of community. And you know what? Maybe she could just affirm that and go, you know what? I know how passionate you are for the things that are important to you. And I believe in those things. I'm just so glad to be married to a husband who is pursuing that kind of thing. And even though you're frustrated, that I just want to hear, I want you to hear me say that. And she connects it to that. Maybe she knows my fears. Uh, I hate being late. I hate being behind schedule. I have this real fear of being underprepared. Maybe at that point she could just give me a reality check and go, Brad, if you are anything, it is not underprepared. Um, maybe, maybe she just listens to my overall story and life is becoming way too much about me. And again, she can caution me or confront me. Just as a side note implication here, I would say let your children hear these conversations. Because if as teenagers you want to engage your children in conversations where they're going to reciprocate back to you, if you want any shot at that, they need to have heard what this kind of interaction about the values and the beliefs and the priorities and the dreams and fears of life sound like. This is huge to discipling your children. Is to allow your children to hear you and your wife disciple one another. At the same time, uh, I will throw that piece out there from the first section. This is always going to be more mundane. You hear me walk through that and you go, oh, that's so romantic. I want to have conversations like that on my way from home from work too. Um, They don't feel all that warm fuzzy. Uh, you know, when the kids are wanting to know what's for supper and somebody's beeping in on the phone and it's like uh, somebody wanted to do a survey. I mean, it, it, it happens in the midst of mundaneness and it sounds much more romantic, exciting up here than the experience of it is unless our expectations are calibrated to embrace what it's really going to look like. But let me give you an application that's a major part of this chapter too. 
And it just comes from being able to tell your story, both as an individual and as a couple. I would dare say most of us don't know how to tell our story. Uh, And so because of that, we really don't know how to tell our marriage story, and we don't know how to tell our personal and marriage story with the gospel at the center of it. So what we wind up doing is making purpose statements that capture one little segment of chapter of our life, and we become so focused on that that it consumes us, and we become a workaholic, or we go, that didn't work, and we blow it off, and we go, not another purpose statement talk. We need to learn how to tell our life story. And... Um, there's several exercises in your notebook. And the first part is just learning to tell your birth uh, to wedding story. Uh, and with that, you just write down the key events at the different segments of your life. Uh, and you say, how did that rank on a kind of one to five scale both ways, kind of unpleasant and pleasant? And you just kind of draw the line and you get to look and see what were those kind of defining marks within our life as we went through. And if we sat down and if we talked about that as a couple, it, and then you do another version of that where you talk about from our wedding to our present. And what have been kind of the defining seasons of our life? And I would encourage you to do that again with your dreams and fears. Uh, where you just say, where are we going? Where are we wanting to take this? Because one of the things that I find with couples is that too often marriage begins to deteriorate when the personal ambitions and dreams are not woven into a joint story. And so we're each pursuing what we're really after. But as we're each pursuing what we're both after, we wind up going further and further apart even though we're getting closer and closer to what we really wanted because there's no joint story bringing those things together. And the people who are most excited and most encouraging us about the things that we're moving towards is not our spouse, but it's the other people involved in these worlds. And if we don't bring that together, then we wind up growing apart even as we get the things that we thought we really wanted out of life. And let me make a plug here that is both for you and admittedly selfish for me. I think this is one of the reasons why marriage mentoring is great for your marriage. Not just for, we have a preparing for marriage ministry here where we have a great need for marriage mentors who can walk with couples who are engaged, but I don't think that's just you serving them. This is an opportunity for you to share your story with another young couple and to walk through that and reflect on it with a couple who is at that stage, same stage of life that you were and begin to hear that and reflect back over it and just to tell your story together. And that is a wonderful, enriching thing for you as a married couple to do that doesn't just bless the engaged couple. The other thing about that dreams and fears exercise is I think that is a beautiful spot to enrich your marital prayer life. Imagine if you had a single piece of paper with the dreams and fears of your marriage Both of you together, all of the major roles that you play spelled out with thoughts and aspects of that, and you kept that where you did your quiet time. And you kept a copy of that in your car and on your bathroom mirror. And throughout your day, you were praying for the dreams and the fears that you had as a couple, reminding yourself of where you were going, 
what you were after. And you could share with one another the things that God laid on your heart about those dreams and fears regularly as you went through that. I think we would have radically different marriages if we got there. Now, there's another exercise here where you can use some color and you can begin to put the different themes of the gospel on that. I'll let you look through that in the notebook. Uh, But Tim Keller goes on to say, uh, the Christian teaching does not offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice, but rather mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. So what, you need, so what do you need to make your marriage work? You need to know the secret, the gospel, and how it gives you the power and the pattern for your marriage. Within this Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at the, another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to His throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth. But now look at you. Let me ask you a question. How many of the materials that you read and attend on love and marriage sound like that? How many of them, that is their aim and their heart? Now, what is the practical impact of that? Is that just high theology? No. That teaches us what really matters and why. And if you want to, what's the core issue of most marital conflict? We get all bent out of shape about things that don't matter as much as they feel like they do when we're in that moment and we're just really passionate about them. And when we lose sight of the big picture of what God is doing in our life through the gospel and He has invited me to be a part of that in the life of my spouse, when I lose sight of that, little things become big things and we blow up about it. And the next day we feel really stupid, 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 stupid. Can't believe I said that. And if we're humble enough, we admit it. And if we're not, then we just grow bitter for days and weeks at a time. And this is why I think it's so important to be able to tell our story and to pray over these kinds of things regularly because we need to see that big picture of the gospel. If the little details of our life are ever going to be put into perspective in a way that we can manage them together. And here's the point. Marriage is meant to change us. Now, marriage is not meant to change my wife into the imprint of my desires and fantasies. Marriage is meant to make, is to be a part of what God uses to make my wife into the image of Christ. And when I give in to being selfish and self-centered, then I begin to think that she has to meet all of my desires and demands in order for us to have a good marriage. And I begin to think that marriage is about making her in my image and not in Christ. And I forget Luke 9, 23. 
that I'm only going to find life when I'm willing to lose it. And when I allow God to make her into the person that God intended her to be, I am going to be so much more thrilled and satisfied than I would ever be if I tried to force her into the molds of my desires and preferences. A couple of quotes there from uh, Winston Smith and Gary Thomas. We're going to skip over those. Uh, Final thought from Paul Tripp. He says... It's not your husband's or wife's choices that you are rejecting. When we get all bent out of shape in conflict and this is not the person I want you to be, it's not your husband's and wife's choices that you're rejecting, but God's. It is God's who formed your spouse with his or her natural gifts and personality. And after he did, he stood back and declared your spouse good. It is hurtful to your spouse when you disrespect her for the things that she did not choose or reject her for the things that she cannot change. Every difference is an opportunity to celebrate God's creative artistry. Yet, and again, the implication is that I have such a tendency to try to make my spouse in my own image. And part of what we need to learn is what is the difference between moral and non-moral differences? Uh, And there's an exercise in your notebook called Celebrating Your Non-Moral Differences. And it's just a spot where you can go through and look at all the non-moral things, things that we should not judge, things that our spouse does not have to change in order to meet our preferences. Are they an extrovert or introvert? Are they bold or timid? Are they reserved or expressive, optimistic or pessimistic? Are they flexible or structured? Are they logical or emotional? Are they athletic or non-athletic? Again, those are things that we are not called to make them into our image, but we are called to celebrate because this is how God made them. Now, when we get in the second part of Foundations to looking at our husband and wife job description... We will come to things that are moral obligations. We're not saying that everything, just be who you want to be. No, there are things that God speaks to in moral language and says, no, this is how I have designed it to be. But when we speak to non-moral things in this weighty moral tone, we've exhausted all of our energy that could be used over here for the things that really matter. We've burnt all of the trust that we would have that it would allow us to interact on those things in meaningful ways. And I would also say when we get to the seminar on intimacy, if we have spent all of our time barking and complaining on our non-moral differences, we have just condemned everything that would make our spouse feel like they were loved for who they were and would allow this sense of closeness to emerge. And so as you go through here, These are non-moral differences to celebrate. If you've been married for an extended amount of time, let me give you a great exercise. Mark where you were when you first got married and mark where you are now. And do that for both of you and just look how you've changed and see how God is moving and just enriching your character over your marriage. And again, if you're a marriage mentor, what a great thing to share with a young couple. To let them see how you're not the same people you were when you got started in marriage. And to give them a framework for what that might look so that they would know that that's okay. So let me wrap this up with these thoughts. 
Marriage is where God intends for us to learn what it means to be fully known and fully loved. In many ways, that's what heaven will be. Heaven will be a place where we are fully known and fully loved. And I, for one, will admit to you, I'm not ready for heaven. If you fully knew me right now, it would make me feel really awkward. There's still things that I don't want to admit and acknowledge to my wife just because I'm not proud of them. I want her to like me. I want her to be impressed with me. I don't want her to have anything to be disappointed in or that she might view as weak. But that's the very essence of the gospel. Again, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that His grace is made perfect in our weakness. And so let us not short-circuit the process of being fully known by failing to learn our spouse and to let our spouse get to know us. And let us not short-circuit the process of being fully loved and fully loving our spouse by condemning things that are non-moral differences. At this point, let's take, uh, if you will, let's take about a five-minute break here to kind of stretch, give us a spot to um, kind of clear our thoughts a little bit, and then we'll come back and hit the second part, which is looking at marriage as covenant.